0: All right, so we're going to be starting this two-week um, kind of two-week series about the two advents of Christ, and so this is what we'll be looking at: uh, advents meaning appearing. I also, I just defined that on your handouts as well—the coming or arrival of Christ. So we'll be talking about these two advents or the appearance of Jesus. The first one has already happened; the second one has not, and so we rejoice in his first coming, and we eagerly anticipate. And watch with hope for a second coming. So he's come once before, just as he said he would, or just as the prophets were told that he would, and then he's coming again as Jesus said that he would. And also the Old Testament prophets spoke of that um, as well. So we'll be looking at prophecy concerning these two advents over the next couple of weeks. So this first but first we need to see kind of or first we'll see the prophecies that have already been fulfilled, and of course the second ones are still to come. And so why is it important to study prophecy? Well, a couple of things. First, it helps us to understand that God is sovereign over all things in the world, that God is always at work, that God is working things out in our world. Even when we can't see, even when we can't understand it, God is always at work. And so it's important to see that God uh, orchestrates all of this. He orchestrates all things. Of course, for his honor, for his glory, for his purposes, uh, God is always doing these things. Also, when we look at prophecy, it strengthens our faith and gives us great confidence that God will do what he has promised, that he will do it, and that first of all, that he is able to do it, and that he will do it. He will do what he promised, and we can have confidence in his word, and that he will do what he says he will do. But before we begin looking at specific prophecies concerning the coming of Christ, it's important to kind of look at a little bit about uh, prophecy, what it is, and, and how it how it works. So a lot of the information I got, and I put it on your handout, is by a guy named Clarence Larkin, and he wrote a book, Dispensational Truth. And it's really cool because this guy does a lot of drawings. And by the way, that drawing on the back of your handout, can you look at that? That's one of his drawings. And he has a whole book of these things. But it's, uh, this book was, was published in 1918. 1918. So it's old, old book. So some of this stuff has come uh, from that. So we're going to be looking at a little bit of these things. One thing about this handout on the, on the back of it, just so you kind of know what that is, is a lot of times if you've ever read in Isaiah, you've read Jeremiah, you've read some of the prophets, sometimes it's hard to tell what are they talking about. Is this, like, has this already happened? Is this future, future? Uh, what is this talking about? Well, this also right here, the mountain peaks of prophecy, it helps us to understand what the prophets saw so they could see the birth of Christ, they could see that. I, I don't know if you can follow along with me there. Uh, but they could see the birth of, of Jesus. They could see the cross. Uh, they could see, I think, the, the, the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They were able to see that. But if you notice, there's a big valley. Big valley. That is the church age. They were not able to see that. So a lot of these things ran together, and the order was kind of different than you would see it um, on like a timeline. But they could see, of course, all the way to the end. But there's this valley, a few valleys that they could not see. They couldn't see the Millennium Valley. And also they could not see the perfect age, age of perfection, uh, once after the, millennium, uh, after the Millennium. So that just kind of helps us understand is what they saw. So, of course, they're seeing these things. But they, couldn't, they didn't necessarily understand what it meant or how that would go. And so that's just for you to look at uh, if you're interested in that. But Clarence Larkin, in his book, Dispensational Truth, he speaks of these prophecies and he divides them into three divisions. Uh, The first division is past. Past is something that has happened in the past, it's fulfilling prophecy. So this would be the first advent. The second is present. Of course, that's as fulfilling prophecy Uh, now refers to the Jews, the nations, and moral and religious character of the times. And so things are still, God's still at work today. Things are still being worked out toward his plans and for his purposes, and those are still going on um, all the time. And then we have the future. The future is unfulfilled prophecy. This is the second advent. This is what we'll be looking at next week, but unfulfilled prophecy. Larkin says there's five requirements uh, for something to be considered a prophecy. And I like these five requirements, and they make sense when you look at them. First is that it must have been made known... Uh, prior to its fulfillment well you say duh of course for it to be prophecy it's something that has hasn't happened yet and uh, it, it happens later on so it must have been known prior to its fulfillment the second is that it must be beyond human foresight this is something that was not made up thought up by a bunch of guys that got together because it was written at different times different places um, and it was it's, it's beyond human foresight of course number three is that it must be details uh, it's interesting if you look in Isaiah when he names Cyrus as the one who has set the Jews, send him home to rebuild the temple. A uh, hundred years or more before Cyrus is ever born, he names him. See, this is something that is very specific. It's detailed. Uh, number four is a sufficient time must elapse between his publication and fulfillment to exclude the prophet or any interested party from fulfilling it. And so it has, there has to be a period of time. So that nobody involved in the prophecy could actually try to uh, fake it and make it look like it actually came true. And finally, number five, is there must be a clear and evident fulfillment of the prophecy. And so I, I thought those are really good requirements. And so what you'll see as we look at some of these things, we're not going to look at very many. There's too many to look at. But what you're going to see is that uh, the prophecies that we're going to look at, they all fit those requirements. It's interesting that there's a fact of 109 predictions literally fulfilled at Christ's first advent in the flesh. There's 109 of those. Um, If you apply the law of compound probabilities, which I'm not that smart. So I I looked up the definition of that. We'll tell you that here in a minute. I'm not that smart. I can't figure that stuff out. But if you look at the law of compound probabilities to this number, the chance was only one in billions. So a chance of one in lots of billions, um, that that could actually be fulfilled in one person. The law of compound probability is a mathematical term relating the likeness of two independent events occurring. It's most often used with like insurance underwriters as they are uh, trying to uh, find out what, the, what are the risks, what, uh, what are your premiums going to be, so they, they do these things to assess risk and assign premiums to various insurance products. But it basically works like this. If we were to flip a coin, what is the what's the odds that it be heads or it be what are the odds would be heads? It's fifty fifty, right? If you flip it again, what are the odds would be heads again? But if it, whether you get two heads in a row, it'd be 0.5 fifty. It'd be like point five times point five. What does that equal? 0.25. It's one in four chance. And so what you see is that the chances get as you go on. The chances get. Less and less likely. So if you did it three times, of course, that chance is going to get smaller. And so it's kind of that idea. So when you think about the 109 predictions literally fulfilled in Jesus' first advent, we're talking chances being one and billions. It's impossible. It's, it's not possible uh, using that law. There were 25 specific predictions made by Old Testament prophets concerning his betrayal his trial, his death, and his burial; those are spoken over five hundred years, five hundred years before Christ ever came. So you have all these prophets long time ago, long before Christ. Twenty-five specific things talking just about his betrayal, his trial, his death, and burial. And if you apply this according this law of probabilities, what that calculates out to is chance- that there was one chance. And 33,554,432. That these 25 predictions would be fulfilled as prophesied. And all those things happen in a 24-hour period. So prophecy is important for us to understand. And, and understand that what it means. Because what, why is it so important? Because it reveals Christ. It reveals Christ. So the people who study the scriptures, Christ reveals himself that way, God reveals Himself through His Word, and so if we, if they, if they would have under, again, we have a lot of benefit that they didn't have. Even like the religious leaders of the day, we have a lot of benefit that those guys didn't have, uh, because kind of like that uh, diagram on the background here of what the prophets saw, they didn't see the Church Age. They didn't see a lot of these things. So of course, they read this prophecy. They think when Christ comes, what did they expect? A king who is going to set up his kingdom and establish it right now, of course we have uh, the, we have a lot more um, ability to see all these things now since we have the whole scripture, and Christ did not come at that point, and so but those guys didn't have didn't have that but we know we know this that when we think about prophecy and things like that is that we can have great confidence in God and in his word. An example is when the resurrected Jesus met the two mourning disciples on the way. When I say mourning, M-O-U-R. And, um, they're walk- on the road to Emmaus. They're walking to Emmaus. And he comes up to them and he kind of says, hey, guys, what are y'all so sad? What's going on? And they're like, have you not heard? They didn't recognize him at that, at, the, at that point. And they begin to tell him what had happened. And Jesus, he says this to them in Luke 24, uh, 25 through 27, and verse 32. He says, uh, you can look if you want to uh, follow me there. Luke 24, 25 through 27. It says, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not that Christ should suffer for these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them... All the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So what we see here is that Jesus reveals himself to them. Then he vanishes and he leaves the disciples sitting there discussing what had just taken place. And in verse 32, those guys said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he, what does it say? While he opened to us the scriptures. So how did Christ reveal himself? He opened the scriptures to them. When John the Baptist was in prison, he sent sent some men to, to uh, go to Jesus, asking him if, the, if the, he was mistaking the identity of Christ. And go to Luke chapter 7, and we'll see what is said here, this conversation. So John's in prison. Maybe things haven't gone exactly how he thought they might should go. And then in Luke chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, Verses 20 through 23 it says, "And when the men had come to him, they said, "John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, "Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another?" In that hour he healed many people, diseases and plagues and evil spirits. and on many who were blind bestowed sight. And he answered them, "Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So these guys went back and told John this. Well, what was Jesus telling John? John was the forerunner of Jesus. He's the one who went before him, uh, pointing to Christ. How did Jesus respond? By opening the scriptures. By opening the scriptures. He's quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Uh, These works Jesus did, particularly giving sight to the blind, were were a miracle that no other Old Testament prophet had ever done. This is something specific to the Messiah, considered a signature sign of the Messiah. So go to Isaiah chapter 61. And we'll be flipping around a lot tonight, so hope you have your Bibles with you. But Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. It says, uh, Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening the prison to those who are bound. Then go to Isaiah chapter 35. I apologize, I'm sweating like a pig up here, but uh, we're going to get through this. By Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 to 6. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and tongue of the mute sing for joy. Am I reading that right? Oh, wrong verse. I'm sorry. Verse, uh, verse 5. I think I started at verse 6. Uh, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue for mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So when Jesus talks to these disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, he is he is quoting scripture uh, to John, saying, "Go tell John this." So John, I know you're struggling. I know things didn't work out the way that you might have thought they should have or would have. But I want you to go and tell John this. And he quotes scriptures. So how did Jesus reveal himself? Using the scriptures. He opened the scriptures. How does he reveal himself now? Through the scriptures. In these next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the scriptures to see what they say about Christ's first advent and the second advents. So studying the Old Testament prophets is highly valuable because it reveals Christ. And hopefully, hopefully you'll see that tonight, that it reveals Christ. Christ how do we know that God will keep his promises because he's done it in the past he's done it, he's always done it and he's doing it today and he'll continue to do so and so there are so many prophecies concerning Christ in the Old Testament but for tonight we're going to focus mainly in the prophecies um, Isaiah maybe a couple of different others as well but they are fulfilled in Christ's first coming so these are all on your handout and we're going to look up all these verses you may look in your handout and go that's a lot of verses well we better get going so the first one, go to Isaiah chapter seven. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. And the first prophecy we see is that he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7:14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Go to uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder... He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So he said Christ was going to be born. He's going to be born of a virgin. And then go to Matthew chapter 1. So you'll notice the pattern we're going to take here. Old Testament and then New Testament. We're going to see what was prophesied. We're going to see where it was fulfilled. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. Matthew 1, 22 and 23. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. So it's quoting the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So go back, go back in the Old Testament now to Micah chapter 5. Let's see if I can find Micah. Oh, come on, where are you? I know, it's Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. I have to go back to my Iwana days, and I'm still not finding it. There's Malachi. I'm in the area. There's Micah. Okay, so Micah, chapter 5. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Are you too little to be among the clans of Judah? For you shall come forth for me, the one who will be the ruler of Israel, who's coming forth from days of old, from ancient of days. So we see that Christ will be born in Bethlehem. Now go to Matthew chapter 2. Y'all be sweating like me here in a minute. All right, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. So now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so what What the prophet foretell? That he be born in Bethlehem. So this says, now after Jesus had been born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men came from the east, came from Jerusalem, saying, and they go on to say what they're going to say, but it says that he was born in Bethlehem. So now go to Luke chapter 2. Because they did not live in Bethlehem, did they? Where did they come from? Anybody remember? Nazareth. So something had to bring them to Bethlehem. Who would travel with a very, very pregnant wife that far if they didn't have to? Well, we see how God, what God used to get them there. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be registered. Uh, this was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Ju- Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with, his, with Mary, his, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them, in the end. And so what was it that brought them to Bethlehem? The decree, right? They had to go back for this census. It happened to be at that right time to bring them to Bethlehem. Why? Because the prophet foretold they be he be born in Bethlehem. God used a census to bring them to the bring them there so that scripture might be fulfilled. The third thing, third one to we'll look at, go to Isaiah chapter eleven. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel, might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. So it says this stump of Jesse, who is, who is Jesse's son? Or, oh, who is, yeah, who is Jesse's son? David, he'd be in the line of David. And so um, he, we, he would come, Christ would come in, in the line of Jesse. So go to Matthew chapter 1. Actually, you know what? Don't, you don't, we're not going to read all this. <laughs> but Matthew, I'll just tell you because uh, it's the genealogies. There's one in Matthew chapter 1. There's also one in Luke chapter 3. And what we see here, and I'll just, just summarize it real quick. But the genealogy in Matthew... Is it goes from Abraham to David to Christ. What it does is it proves that Jesus had the legal right to the throne. So Matthew lays out the lineage of Jesus through Joseph. Joseph was not his biological father, even though, but even though he was not his biological father, this genealogy establishes Jesus' claim to the throne of David as Joseph's legal heir. He was the firstborn, so he would be the legal heir. To the throne, so it it establishes this. The second genealogy you see in Luke chapter three is Adam to Abraham to David to Christ. It goes all all the way back to Adam, and then in in through that it goes through Noah and all these. But basically, kind of the big ones here was Adam uh, to Abraham to David to Christ. So Luke's genealogy or genealogy lays out Mary's lineage. Mary and Joseph were both in the line of David, just different sides. So uh, Mary was also a descendant of David. So while Joseph's lineage establishes Jesus' has this claim, uh, Jesus's claim on the throne of David, Mary's lineage, Joseph and Mary were both descendants of David, so it's the, the bloodline, so to speak. Isn't that interesting how God works? And how God did this. And so he is legally, has a legal right to the throne, legal claim to the throne. Then also Mary, there's the bloodline that is there. And they were both, again, they were both uh, descendants of David, but just from different, different sides. It's interesting how God works. God is so precise in all that he does. Everything God does is very precise. It's done on purpose. Um... So he's so precise in all that he does, proving that God is sovereign over all things, meaning that he is in complete control of everything. Again, God knew this plan before the world was ever created. This was God's plan. And he worked it all out in the, in the timing that he wanted to do so. The next thing, go to Isaiah chapter 40, the next prophecy. Isaiah chapter 40. And what we're going to see here is this is the prophecy of the forerunner. Who is, who is the forerunner of Christ? John the Baptist. So it's going to be John the Baptist. So uh, Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. Hang on a second. I'm on the right. I'm in Psalm. It's like, that look... Man, I'm struggling up here. Isaiah chapter 40 and find Micah or Isaiah. Isaiah is a big one, too. Um, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 through 5. A voice, cry, a voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight, the de- make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain hill made low, and uneven ground shall be level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all shall see it. Together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So it talks, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So now go over to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And here's his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel hair and and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and, and all Judea and all the regions about Jordan were going out to him. And they are baptized by him uh, in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So we see that John came. He burst on the scene. He's not the best-looking guy in the world. You know, I picture a guy who had stuff in his teeth and, you know, a big wooly guy coming out of the wilderness, you know, like a wilderness man. And he comes, and he's, what is he preaching? Repent. Turn from your sin. repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It says, this is the guy. He is the one spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. The next one we see is, go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Is that Jesus' ministry would begin in Galilee. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, um, let's see here, verses 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way to the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of the deep of darkness... On them a light has shone. So now go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Says so now that now when he heard John had been arrested, again John the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving that Nazareth, he went out into Capernaum uh, by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled: the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the, best, the way beyond the sea, beyond the, Gal- beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, what was his message? Repent. John, the forerunner of Christ, is preaching preaching repent. And he pointed to Christ. And now it says, from that time forward, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we see that preaching of John the Baptist uh the forerunner of Christ and then we see the next thing is that Jesus ministry began in Galilee just like Isaiah told in chapter 9 of Isaiah The next thing we'll see is that the Isaiah would preach the good news Isaiah chapter 61 Isaiah chapter 61 Verses 1 and 2. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison of those who are bound. Go to Luke chapter 4 again, where we just were. Luke chapter 4. 16 through 21. I think this is what we just read, but we're going to read it again. Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. It says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Actually, we haven't read this yet. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is, is upon me. Because he has appointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and uh, recovering and uh, proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all the eye and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what was Jesus telling them? I am the Messiah. He straight up said it, and he said he just read it straight from the straight from the prophecy, and said, "I am that I am the Messiah." And he began to preach the good news. Next thing we see is the Messiah be presented as king. Go to Zechariah. Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9. We see the Messiah would be presented as king. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, a fowl, a fowl of a donkey. So we see that he would be presented as king. Go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. So now, when he had drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, when Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go into the go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt uh, with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says, says to you, uh, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This uh, This took place to fulfill all that was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt of a fowl, of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Then they brought the donkey, the colt, and put them on their cloaks, and sat, he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. We see that he was presented as their king. What's interesting is that this presentation of Jesus came exactly 483 years after the decree of Artaxerxes, as mentioned in Daniel chapter uh, chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. The exact 483 years exactly, which is the 70-year prophecy of Daniel. So we're not going to spend time talking about that one, but that's just another thing. Finally, we will see that the Messiah is, was, would suffer. Go to Isaiah chapter fifty. Isaiah chapter fifty, verses six and seven, and then we'll go to then we'll go to chapter fifty three. So I gave my, um, yes, Isaiah 50, verse 6 and 7. I gave my back to those who, who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I shall not be put to shame. Go to chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed, believed what he has heard from us? And whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up like him, like a young, a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one of, uh, of whom men hide their faces... He was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, was not afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for this generation who considered, he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made a grave with the wicked and with the rich man, a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The Lord, uh, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul shall see and be satisfied. By the knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the, with the many. With the many, and he shall divide spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many, and the transgressions uh, for the transgressors. And what we see here is that the Messiah uh, would suffer. And all the accounts in the New Testament, all of the gospels, uh were talked about talk about this. We see that Jesus was beaten and spat upon. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem knowing he'd be crucified and was determined to do God's will. He was despised and rejected by men. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace is upon him. By stripes we are healed. He's he's oppressed and afflicted yet didn't open his mouth. He's led as a lamb to, to, to the slaughter and this is what he came for. He came to suffer, he came to die. The last prophecy we'll look at. That so the Messiah will rise from the dead. Isaiah 53, 11. It says, "Out of anguish of soul, he shall see; he shall see and be satisfied by the knowledge. Shall righteous one, my servant, make many accounted righteous? He shall bear their iniquities." So we see is that he he was going to be. He is the one. Um, it says he is the one. Uh, let me read. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. So it talks about the Savior who is who is risen, who is alive. And then we go over to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, if I can get there, Jonah, where are you? It's a little book here, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah. Come on, where are you? Oh, I saw it. I passed it. There we go. Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. Verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So now go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40. 39 and 40. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was, in the, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Then Matt, yeah, oh, yeah, so that was chapter 12, or Matthew chapter 12. I apologize about this dripping all over the place here. Battling the cold a little bit, so I just need you to put me a fan here. I apologize. Um, but we saw that the Messiah would be buried and rise again uh, from the dead. So there are so many more Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled at Christ's first advent. We don't have time to really look into those. We'll look at more later. But just a quick summary of the Old Testament as we begin to wrap this up. Quick summary of the Old Testament from the beginning, uh, from, all the way from the beginning, back in Genesis, to Christ's first advent. So we see is back in Genesis when sin entered into the world, we have a prophecy that, the, that one would come and do away with sin, who would crush the serpent's head. God establishes a nation of people through Abraham and makes a covenant with him. All, uh, and all uh, nations of the world be blessed through him. God makes this covenant. God continues dealing with his people throughout the Old Testament, all the while preparing the way for the coming of Christ. At the appointed time, he would lay aside his glories in heaven, Jesus that is, to take on the form of man. And it all happened just as the prophets had foretold. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died to pay the penalty of our sin, was buried, and rose again according to the scriptures. And what we see is that redemption is a theme we find all throughout the scriptures from beginning to end. It's all throughout. And so at Christmas time, as we celebrate his birth, of course, this is what we're, we celebrate his birth, but Jesus' first advent is, is, a, is about so much more than just a baby. It's not it's not just about a baby in a manger. He was God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel, which means God with us. John 1:14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came into the world as a human to die and to save sinners. In God's sovereignty, he orchestrated everything perfectly for the glory of God. And so in that we can rejoice. We can rejoice That Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's you and that's me. That's all of us. Jesus came for that reason. His first advent brought hope. It is that hope that we eagerly await for a second advent. The first advent, Jesus came as a baby, as a humble uh, baby. He came as a servant. He came to die. And when he comes again, he's coming as a conquering king. And we will look at that next week. And I love the imagery of when Jesus comes again. And so we are in the time between the first Advent and the second Advent. And on your handout, you can see that the the prophets could not see that valley that we live in. But we can see both sides. And so we can be assured and confident that that Jesus said he's coming again and that he will. And next time when he comes, it's not going to be a humble servant. It's going to be a mighty warrior and a mighty king. And we can look forward to that day. And that's what we're going to look at next time. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. We thank you for uh, your scripture and, Lord, how it reveals Christ. And so, Lord, as we we understand that you came the first time and that you will come again, and we look forward to that day and we look forward with, with great anticipation and hope. And so, Lord, we thank you. As we celebrate this time of year, that you came and you dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. You put on flesh and you came to die. Lord, we are so thankful. If you had not done that, we cannot be saved. We cannot know you. So, Lord, we're so grateful for that. So help us to leave uh, here tonight rejoicing in all that you've done. And, uh, Lord, we come back next week and we'll see more about what your word and the scriptures reveal about you. In Jesus' name, amen.